0: 12 we have the Abrahamic covenant. And the Bible says, And the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of the country, and from thy kindred, and from my father's house unto a land that I will show thee. He was in Haran. He had been told to leave the earth Ur- of Chaldees and leave his family, but he didn't. He went to Haran and stayed there with his father, Terah, and his brother, Haran. And God comes back to him again and says, Okay, I've not changed my mind. I want you to go to where it landed. I'm going to show you. And then he makes a covenant. He said, I'll make of thee a great nation, and I'll bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I'll bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so God made his promise, and he promised that he was going to give them a land he promises that he's going to bless their nation that come from Abraham and that all the world would be blessed through Abraham and we know that to be the fulfillment of Jesus Christ coming in the lineage of Abraham Isaac Jacob and down to this time so our first the first lesson we we uh, talked a, a good deal about what this war in the Middle East is not about. It's not about the land. It's not about the Palestinians being dispossessed of the land because, actually, the Palestinians, there's no Palestinian nationality. The Palestinians are Arabs, just like we are Americans, the same as with Seattle. There's no Palestinian state. They don't have their own land. In fact, they refused in 1947 when Israel became a nation. They refused the, the uh, United Nations offer to give them their own land. They're not refugees. It's not apartheid. But what it's about on page four, it's about destroying Israel. And uh, we find that when Abraham got ahead of himself and wanted to go in, and did go into Hagar, the servant of Sarah, to have, to have a child, that Ishmael was born. And in 1611, uh, Genesis 16:11, and the angel of the Lord said unto her, "Behold thou art with child and shall bear a son." And shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man. And every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. And so they kind of, not not across the board, but a lot of Arabic people are against, <laughs> against every man. And then... Uh, God made it plain that the inheritance wasn't going to come through Ishmael or Eliezer, Abraham's servant, but it's going to come through a baby that Sarah and Abraham would have. Abraham at a hundred years old, and his name would be called Isaac. And then we talked about the land and some interesting maps here. The land that he promised them, went from the river of Egypt, which is the Nile River, all the way up to the Euphrates River. And so that includes today Syria. It includes Lebanon. All that one day will belong to Israel. The little map at the bottom showed that, that, <coughs> that uh, during the time of, of David and Solomon, Israel did control more land and was kind of overseer of some of the land, but they never have controlled this land, the description that was given in Genesis 15 from from the river of Egypt until the Euphrates River. And then we have a map here in the middle uh, in the, on page 6 that just shows uh, how how small amount of uh, property that Israel does have. And uh, the Gaza Strip is down there in the bend. And then all of that dark area in the middle of Israel is, uh, is the West Bank. And uh, uh, they have very little control of what God had promised them. They're going to be a great nation. And uh, the little orange spot on uh, page 7... Uh, God's promise that they're going to be a nation forever and we talked about we talked about though they had been scattered after Babylonian captivity and then they were scattered again after the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD they've always remained a distinct people some of them intermarried but the majority of the Jewish nation has remained a people group even though they've been scattered throughout all the world, they've remained a people group. And then in 1947, they came back, and, and, but not in entirety. And the Bible teaches that all of them are going to go back one day. And uh, uh, we, let me just read this on top of page 7. There are so many prophecies and promises in the Bible concerning Israel that have come true, especially in the last 200 years, that no one could possibly have predicted or imagined. It shows that God can see the future foretold in his word. He has been utterly faithful in keeping his promises. More than 300 years ago, King Louis Fourteenth, the ruler of France, asked the famous philosopher and mathematician, Blase Pascal, to prove the existence of God. Pascal replied, well, your majesty, the Jews, the Jews, the remarkable story of survival and their journey through history till today reveals that time after time, God's word is true. And there's no other people group that remain distinct as they have. And then uh, our lesson two, we talked more about the Abrahamic covenant. We talked about how it was unconditional covenant. And if you remember in chapter 15, when God made that covenant, he had him depart, get some animals and put them in parts, one on one side, one on the other. There were some birds also. They didn't cut them in two, but they put one bird on one side and the other. And for people who to make contracts or make covenants, the way that they secured that covenant was that both of them would pass through the divided pieces signifying if I break my promise here and I break the covenant, then I would forfeit my life. I should forfeit my life. And so it was binding. But when God did this, God caused a great sleep to fall upon Abraham and only God walked through it, which means that the promises given to Abraham, the promises that we inherited through Abraham's descendants, all the world will be blessed Totally depends upon God, and it's unconditional. So why I say that is, is that see the Arabs today? Actually, this was this is um, you'll see in the pen. I have a little appendix in here, but the Arabs actually today will admit in the in the Quran, it says that Moses gave the 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 Palestine. He gave. the Middle East property that Israel was on, God gave, uh, Moses gave that to the Jews that it belonged to them. But because they started worshiping sacrifices and went into the Babylonian captivity, and because God gave them a a second chance and Rome came and destroyed them, that now it belongs to whoever can take it. And so, though they admit that it was first given to them, The Jews, the Arabic people, will admit that from the Quran. They say they lost the right to have that. But when God gave this covenant in chapter 15, it's unconditional. They didn't have to do this and this and this to maintain. But God said, I will, I will make you a great nation, I'll give you land. I will, I will, I will. And And it wasn't a thing that I will do this if you'll do that. They never did have to do something to maintain the Abrahamic covenant. Now, uh, one of the things we wanted to point out too is that when the Bible says that he will bless them that bless them and curse them that curse them, one of the things that we we need to kind of keep straight in our mind that the the Jewish people as uh, a group, although those are exceptions, but the Jewish people as a group are not godly people. They're not godly. In fact, in Jerusalem today, if you, uh, you're trying to witness on the street, you're going to get spit on. And so we don't, we don't back the Jews as a nation but just because uh, they're godly. We'll be back to Jews of the nation because God said, if you'll honor them, I'll honor you. If you bless them, I'll bless you. If you don't bless them, I'm going to curse you. We, know, we do know that uh, one day they will be saved and they'll occupy the land forever. Now, we're, we're in the page on page 13. When will the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant occur. That is, when will they be in their land, and when will they have all the land? We've noted that the promises of the covenant made to Abraham in Genesis 12 has not been fulfilled up to this point in time. When will Israel possess forever the land between the river of Egypt and the Euphrates River? When will the people of Israel acknowledge Jesus Christ as both Lord and and Savior? Well, the answer to that is something that is not disclosed in Scripture. In the book of Matthew, the disciples came to Jesus wanting to know the timing of such events. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? And Jesus gave them many signs that would lead up to the coming again of Himself, but said to them, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. And though we cannot know the day nor the hour, the Bible does give us a lot of information about the details of that moment. And in this lesson, I want to look at what is revealed. In Zechariah 12, and parts of 13 and 14. And so, um, the background to Zechariah, the the first eight chapters of Zechariah uh, basically deal with Zechariah's time period. And though it has some prophetic implications, it basically deals with Zechariah's time. But when we get to Zechariah chapter 9 through 14, you have this sweeping prophetic picture of the end time. And point A, 9 through 11, is the first coming of Christ. So let's go to Zechariah. It's just two books back from the book of Matthew. Look in Zechariah 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem? And they were proclaiming, saying, Hosanna to the king. And then a few days later, they were saying, crucify him, crucify him. But this is fulfillment of that prophecy. And so chapter, chapter 9, 10, and 11 really deal with Christ's time here. Look at verse 12 here. Let's see, Zechariah nine twelve. No, that's not what I wanted. Probably chapter twelve, but let's. Uh, I want you to, uh, and then uh, twelve through fourteen, his second coming, and we'll look at chapter twelve. Let's just go. Let's just go to chapter twelve. In chapter twelve, would. We'll, We've moved from the time of Christ being here upon the earth to future. Chapter 12, verse 1. The burden of the word, the burden of the word of the Lord of Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth, and formeth the spirit of man within him. And so it tells us something about God. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And so it's going to be a siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. And so he implies here and we're, and we're going to look at this, uh, this uh, cup of trembling and a burden. And so there's, a, there's kind of a, a four-point outline. The siege, the shielding, the sorrow, and then the salvation. But let's look at this siege here. And you see here it says, it says there at the bottom of verse 3, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it, that everybody is going to be upset with the Jews. Now we see that more than we've ever seen it before. What's taking place on college campuses today is atrocious. And the attitude, it's just, even though, even though it's a small group, it seems, but here's the deal. There's some that are very vocal on one side against the Jews. There's some that are very vocal, which are the Christian groups for the Jews. But there's a vast majority between those two extremes who could care less. They just care less. And those people are the same as like that we just read about. That They, they, they said, Hosanna, when he came into the city riding on the colt uh, full of an ass, and then a few days later, they're going to say, crucify him, crucify him. That's the nature of America today. They could care less. They're ignorant, and they're going to go with the flow. But let's look at these words here. He says here, In verse 3, in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone, and all the burden themselves will be cut in pieces. And then up up above, it says, behold, I'll make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto the people round about. At the bottom of the page, uh, 13, that Jerusalem is going to be a cup of trembling and a burdensome stone to the nations of the world who besiege it. A cup of trembling. Here the prophet has in mind a huge cup, and everybody's going to drink of it. And trembling is that it's not a fear that the prophet has in mind here, but it's being tipsy. It's being running about. It's a it's like they're intoxicated. I'll make Jerusalem a cup of intoxication to all people. And so they come, the nations of the world have come. We're going to take this prize. We're going to take over this most religious place in the world. We're going to conquer uh, Israel and Judah and Jerusalem. And we want, you know, we, we want to have a part of that. And we're going to destroy them. We're not going to be bothered by them anymore. But God says, when you come, I'm going to make you, in a sense, As a people, all the people against them, I'm going to make you stumble around like an old drunk. You're going to lose your ability. uh, And you're going to stumble around like drunken people. And then, and we, uh, I guess I've, uh, let's see. From the Bible, we'll look at, uh, cut burdensome stone here in a second. From other Bible passages, we know Israel is going to be attacked uh, by the nations of the world. If you look over in Joel, these are all books that you guys look at every other week, right? In Joel chapter 3, look in verse 9. Proclaim ye among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords. Remember, there's a place in the Bible in Isaiah where they're going to beat their swords into plowshares, but not here. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears and let the weak say, I'm strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about, through their cause the mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the people be awakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I set to judge all the people, heathen around about. Put you in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press full the, that the. The, vats, the fats overflow, and the wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes, and the valley of the seasons, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of the seasons. And that extra handout I gave you is about the uh, Armageddon. But this valley of Jehoshaphat is Armageddon, the valley of Armageddon. And he's saying, he's pleading for the people uh, to come down. Now let's go... Um, Back a little further to Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. And look over there in um, Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. And in the, and in that, and in the day these kings shall so the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it break in pieces the iron and the brass and the clay and the silver. It's an it's a, it's a image that uh, the, the king of Babylon saw, Nebuchadnezzar's image and how it was broken and he's he's translating this and he's saying that in the end, this rock that came out, this stone became a mountain and he's going to crush all these nations and the great God hath made known to the kings what shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. Well, that's never happened as it's described here but it's going to happen at the valley, in the valley of uh, Jehoshaphat at the, the time of Armageddon, look in chapter 7 and verse 13. I gave you that handout because uh, I'm just kind of cruising through it, 75 miles an hour here. I can't break all this down. But in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, I, I, all I want you to see is this is that there's a day coming where every single nation of the world is going to come and fight Israel. That's the greatest mistake they ever made. That's right. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came into the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and it was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Listen, there's going to be a great change in this world when the Ancient of Days comes. And is ruler over all the world and rules out of uh, Israel. If I had time, I'd read to you Ezekiel 38 and 39. Very fascinating, but I think that with what I've given you and what we're going to see here as we continue reading, uh, hopefully it makes some sense to you. We're talking about when is the Abrahamic covenant going to be completely fulfilled and the land will be theirs forever. Page 14. You read Ezekiel 38 and 39, and you'll find that the army of the north, and we know it's Russia and her allies, Gog and Magog. Now, some people think that the battle of Gog and Magog takes place before the the, the Armageddon, but I think it's a part of it, Uh, and uh, this is what I'm proposing here. The land of Meshach and Tubal and they ally with Cush and Put and so forth. Those other names which are ancient names of modern Arab states. And so, Russia and the Arab people are going to get together. For there is some kind of Russian-Arab alliance. And then there is in Daniel 11, the southern army coming up from the south, and that would be Egypt. And Daniel eleven forty to 44 talks about it. The army of the south will be Egypt and the other Arab allies. So you got the west and the north and the south. And, of course, you're well aware of in Revelation 9 and Revelation 16, there is a great army of the east with 200 million soldiers that comes moving towards Israel. The Euphrates River is dried up and they march toward Israel. So you got the west and the north and the south and the east converging. And when they all arrive, folks, there's going to be some kind of a battle. Just imagine the army of the east alone. If you read there in, uh, in I didn't get the exact uh, reference, but in Revelation 9 or in 16, I've, I don't know, there's going to be 200 million soldiers. It says, it gives that number, 200 million soldiers. And so, I googled, I googled and said, what's the, what's, how many soldiers in China? And uh, it came up that they have 200 million active duty, not National Guard. They have 200 million active duty soldiers. You know, if you just have one child with their one child rule and and they're killing all their girls because they wanted a boy, there's lots of guys that could be soldiers. 200 million. In that one place, uh, on that one sheet of paper, it showed the valley of Jehoshaphat. uh, Just imagine, just imagine how many, how many soldiers are going to be there and uh, uh, I don't think I made a comment on this. I'll chase a little bit of rabbit. They describe a lot of times on horses. And it talks about during that battle that the blood is going to be up to the horse's bridles. Right. Now, I'm not sure whether this horses are just the term that they use for for armament that we have today, military armament, tanks, and whatever, or if actually something occurs that warfare takes place on horses. I do believe that when uh, he comes back uh, and riding on a white horse, it's not going to be on a Humvee. I think it's going to be on a white horse. But uh, anyway, there's going to be a great mass of people that come against Israel. They're going to converge on Israel. They're going to attack Israel. They're going to attack Judah and surrounding countrysides. And they're going to have their sights set up on Jerusalem. Although they never really are able to pull off much of an attack on Jerusalem, as this prophet points out. But they really begin to go after the land of Israel. And he it says it's going to be like men greedily draining a wine goblet. They're going to come in and they're just going to drink it up. But in the end, they're going to find themselves reeling and staggering around like helpless drunks, unable to claim the coveted prize. Okay, now we get to this term that was used there in verse 3 of chapter 12. This burdensome stone. And I take this commentary from um, a, a man by the name of John MacArthur. I'll make them a burdensome stone, literally a stone of burden, a heavy stone hard to lift. Evidently, it's interesting in the Hebrew, I did a little research on it, and this very word referred to a stone that was used in weightlifting contests. A stone used in weightlifting contests, apparently in those days they had weightlifting contests, and they just got bigger and bigger and bigger stones till people got eliminated. And the guy who could lift the biggest stone ultimately was the winner. Now, the figure here is very simple. He says, I'm going to make Jerusalem a burdensome stone. And literally what it's saying is anyone that tries to lift it is going to get a hernia. Not very many soldiers can fight with hernias. That's what it says. You say it does. Trust me. (laughs) See the phrase cut in pieces? all that burden burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Literally it says, shall grievously injure themselves. And the simple meaning in the Hebrew is to rupture, to tear oneself, an injury perhaps sustained from lifting something too heavy. And then if you go back there to chapter 12 again, in Zechariah, over and over and over, Zechariah says, in that day, in that day. Verse 4. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness and will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength and the Lord is the host their God. In that day, uh, when all nations of the world come against Jerusalem, they're going to find themselves in a stupor, they're going to find themselves tore up inside. And so that's the, that's the attack. And now, now here's how it's going to be shielded in verse four through nine. In that day saith the Lord, I will smite every horse of astonishment. We just read this and ra- rider with madness, I will open my eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. And the governor of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength and the Lord of hosts their God. In that day I will make the governor of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire in the sheaf. And they shall devour all the people round about on the right hand and on the left, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own even in own place, even in Jerusalem. And the Lord shall save the tents of Judah, first that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the house of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day, saith the Lord, in that day shall the Lord defend the house of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God and the angels of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Israel. And so what he's saying here is that outside of Israel, outside of Judah and Jerusalem and, and, and in Israel, there's going to be villages and towns and they're, they're coming to destroy all of it. And, and he's saying that, that those leaders in that day, they're going to be like a hearth. And and what it's getting at is is they're going to have something that fire is carried in. And and they're going to go to, and it's going to be like catching the wood on fire. It's going to be like catching the sheaf of grain on fire. And they're going to, uh, and the wood and the the sheaf is going to be the enemy. And they're just going to burn them up. And he says here, it says, they're going to, those, I'm going to make them. A strong like David, there in verse 8, and it sh- in, in that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble, the one that is the, the most weak of all the people that's fighting against the nation of the world, they're going to be as David, and they said in the house of David shall be as God. Not that, they're re- not that they are pure and holy in that way, but they're going to have the strength of God. There's something supernatural is gonna take place here. And uh, that's all explained. And then then, uh, in verse four, and then uh, that he's going to smite the horses. I want you to see also, go over to chapter 14, still in this same context. In chapter 14 and verse 20, In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and in the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord, and all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and seed therein, In that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord. And it says, uh, let's see, in verse uh, 9, let's see. In one of these places, it said there were going to be madness. What is the reference there? Someplace, I don't see the word madness. Madness. Anyway, that madness means um, panic. And verse 4. Four. Okay. And that day he said the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment as ride with madness. They're just going to be, <laughs> they're going to be like Eastern Oregon slang, they're going to be running around like a chicken with his head cut off, not knowing what's going on here, what's happening. And then, uh, so I pretty well explained the first part of verse 15, but I want to to, uh, go down to the third point, the sorrow of Israel, the sorrow of Israel. Look there in uh, verse, chapter 12 and verse 10. Now pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadan rimon in the valley of Megiddon. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, and the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, and the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, and the family of Shimia apart, and their wives apart, and the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. They're mourning. So here's what's happening, is the way I understand it. Here are the Jewish people who have been maligned and persecuted for centuries. And they've had some people that help them. Most of America has been favorable to them. They've had allies. But now there comes a point when they have no allies. And all the world's coming against them. Imagine. Imagine being a, a Jew in this time. And then things begin to happen. Supernatural stuff begins to happen that's destroying these nations, wiping them out. All these ones that come against them. I think in some ways the Jewish race is probably a pretty proud race. We're God's people. But also because of some of their history. But now they know, if they have any kind of brain at all, we're wiped out, <laughs> we're done. But God, they're seeing, they're understanding, there's something that's happening that they cannot deny that God is doing something. Something supernatural is happening. And they begin to mourn because they realize that this one is in Isaiah chapter 53 is the one that they called out as a nation. Crucify him, crucify him. And the Bible says that, that uh, and when he has come, that is the Spirit of God, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment, of sin, because they believe not on me. Israel is going to realize that they have sinned Because they believe not on him. Now, look in chapter 13. The salvation of Israel. In that day, there shall be a fountain. Look at that. In that day, in that day, in that day. In that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the house of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I'll cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and there shall be no more be remembered. And I also, and also I will cause the prophets of the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. And it goes on and talks about the prophets. But I want you to go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 and verse 25. And we can't get, we're getting right in the middle of something here. But Paul said in Romans eleven twenty-five, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. The fact that God has allowed the Gentiles to be engrafted into promises of God. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit. That is, that we are better than the Jews. That blindness, in part, has happened to Israel as a nation. Until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, you're going to find... That there's there's, uh, three uh, really things that identify uh, time periods. One is the fullness of the Gentiles, and that's the church age. There's going to be a time called Jacob's trouble, which is tribulation. And then there's going to be a time of the Jews. And he says that blindness has happened in part. And so look at this now. And so all Israel shall be saved. All Israel, as is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Israel. Now look in chapter 14. Chapter 14. And about all I can do in two minutes is try to read uh, these verses. Behold the day of the Lord cometh and the spoils should be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses rifled and the women ravished and half of the city shall go forth into the captivity and residue of people shall not be cut off. Then said the Lord go forth and fight against these nations as when he thought in the day of battle. And so we see here that Half of the people are going to be taken. Half, half of the citizens of Israel are going to be taken. And in that day, I mean, there's so much happening in, in this same time period. And his feet shall stand upon the, upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley... The half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and the half toward the south. And ye shall flee to that valley of the mountains. And so he gives an escape route for those that remain. And remember, God is judging, letting some die because he's judging Israel. And he says, the mountains reach into Azai. Yea, ye shall flee like ye fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day that light shall be not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at the evening time it shall be light. And it shall be on that day that the living waters shall go out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea, in the summer and the winter. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. And the land shall be turned as a plain from Gibeah to Rimen, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and in inhabitants in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, and the corner gate, and from the tower of the Haniel unto the king's winepress. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited, and it shall come to pass... And it shall come and it shall be, and this shall be in the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. I mean, this is, this is uh, outstanding, but it's also horrific. He said, their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes. And their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them. And they says, lay hold, every one, on the hand of his neighbor. And his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. And Judah shall fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. And so shall be the plague of the horse and the mule and the camel and the ass and all the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. I don't know what that is, but I know it's from the Lord. But also remember as a little boy, maybe not so little, maybe teenager, reading about Hiroshima. And the people that were in the center of the atomic bomb, their eyes melted out of their head. And if man can make a weapon like that, God can do what he says in this passage here. And so understand that when the covenant given to Abraham is going to be completely fulfilled is when God wars against all the nations of the world to stand against Israel. And he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords. Next week, we'll uh, talk a little bit about what are we going to be doing? Where, Where are we going? If all the nations of the world are going to come against Israel, what are we going to be doing? Will we be fighting? What are we going to be doing? Well, that's interesting, too. I would encourage you to take some time and read the handout I gave you. It's a little more, a little more information and detail, but all this, so many different snapshots and different portions of the Bible that uh, bring this all together. And uh, just, know, just know this, and I, I know you know this, but sometimes we don't think this way. Just know this, <laughs> that God's gonna win in the end. He's going to have his—he's going to have his way, and uh, we're going to be able to live with him forever and ever. Okay, you're dismissed.